Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And a very good day to you. Yeah, I mean, we, we sit and we talk about gardening and it's one of those things that give us the greatest pleasure. And of course, joining me in studio today, Mike Rickoff, the designer extraordinaire do you like being called that? Oh, well, no, well, it's a bit blushy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you look so cute when you turn pink. Yes, yeah, no, pink suits me. And you know I love pink, so I don't mind that too much. I love the fact that we have a man who actually admits to loving pink. And it, it was one of those colors that I think men are becoming a little bit more happy about. When, especially if you consider in the past. It was when, the boy's color. When boys were um, girls. And it was a thing. Boy did not relate to male child. They were all called girls. It was a gay girl and a something else girl that d determined which was which. And boys wore pink because that was the softened down color of red, which was for the male and king. Yep. And girls wore blue. Yeah, interesting. I, I, you know, we've always watched QI. Always. I remember coming up there where um, the... Girls' color used to be blue, little baby girls. Yes, because of the Madonna. Yeah, and boys were, were pink. So, But anyway, it, it wasn't that that made me love pink. I just, I've loved, always loved pink in gardens. Mm. I think it, it's beautiful and I think but it works well with white. But pink though, Michael? Because, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I always think of that very bright cerise pink as being the color of Southeast Asia. And it very much is. If you think about Bali, yeah. about Singapore, everywhere you go, um, in Bangkok, for instance, there's bright pink and the flowers are all bright pink. But that very soft, pale pink, I think, is I'm also fantastic. I'm more into the soft pinks, I, I must say. And, and I, I, love, I love it when they go into the salmons and things. Those are the kind of colors, kind of range I like. So I like to deal with soft colors. Mm, people are going to start thinking you're a softie if you keep on like that. Yeah, no, I don't mind. You know, you have to. I, I, you have to have a tender side, <laughs> and and of course, you know, we we get up close and personal with our gardens. And if you want to get up close and personal with your garden, I think you have to be, you know, you have to you have to be have a soft side. I think. There's been an interesting thing. I mean, you know, people, we, we talk about people going into to garden centers and impulse buying. And we talk about scrambled egg gardens where people who have no clue about what they're doing actually just pop in, buy a whole bunch of stuff without looking at what will work with something else. Different zoning for water and they just dump it all in and it looks quite bizarre. So are you finding people from your perspective, especially when it comes to people that you're designing for, are actually becoming a little bit more aware of actually getting a color flow running through? You know, we try. And, and, and I, I do interface a lot and I, I talk a lot to clients and communicate a lot to clients and I sort of always steer them away from the fruit salad effect. Um, and, and if there is a fruit salad effect, of course, we, we can work with it. You know, mm. I mean, you can embroider a common white thread through the garden or whatever, or a common white or a common color, like a yellow, for instance, through the garden. And that sort of brings everything together as long as there's some rhythm. Because, you know, I think what disturbs people the most is the fruit salad effect. Um, it's, uh, it's just too loud and too busy and there's mm. no rhythm in it. There's no harmony in that kind of garden. So, but I, I mean, I have installed some beautiful gardens where, where I've walked away from the garden and there was that sense of, of uniformity in the garden and the sense of rhythm and harmony. And you come back next season and somebody's just plumped a whole lot of smarties in the garden. So, yeah, you know, that you find it difficult then to say something and say to the client, you know, well, that doesn't really look that nice. It's kind of spoiling the effect. Well, I, I mean, for me, I'm always thinking about things from, from a design and plant point of view. And there was uh, a couple of times because I, I work in a garden center over the weekends. 
going up to people and saying, um, okay, what you're doing is lovely. And this guy just wanted the things with white stripes in them. So he'd gotten a whole bunch of flowers that have kind of the same white stripes. I said, well, maybe you should take some of these with the smaller flower, which has got a very pale stripe in it and put them in between because otherwise it's just like so in your face. And I put all the plants out for him and said, do it like this. Yeah. And then it kind of changed his mind about how to do that. So I, I love walking around and seeing the mistakes that people are doing so I can set them right. Do you find yourself doing that too? You try. And, and, and I, I certainly, you know, when, when you talk to somebody about designing in shades of white, they kind of look at you a bit strange. And, you know, you're also talking about textures mm. where, you know, you get, you get a rougher texture and a smoother texture and you get a finer texture. And uh, it, it's nice to be able to sort of mix and match Shades of white like that. And we've always spoken about designing in shades of green. And, and yeah, that's sexy, isn't it? I mean, we've always said shades of green with white accent or, or color accent is the way to go. And I think you and I, one of the first gardens we ever did on television. Um, it was, was a that, green garden. It was a green garden with, with color accent. And I think that garden was very strong. And uh, what people don't realize is it's brave um, to exercise restraint. It's not brave to just throw colors into the garden. You know, that's anybody can do that. It's, it's when you start to exercise that level of restraint or start to actually look at shades of white and creams and things going mm. together. Um, I think you've got to be pretty brave to resist um, picking up everything that you see, which is what you see all the time, I guess. Well, I, I think yeah. maybe my antipathy towards um, annuals was driven very much by that because I like to have a color-coordinated a, a color garden. And they have to be kind of mellifluous, I think would be a nice way of saying it. Mm. Melanie's mellifluousness. Um, It has to have a song going through it in a way. And I prefer to have a green garden with just like at a specific season, suddenly the pinks will come through or the yellows will come through. So I've actually designed the garden specifically so different colors come at different times. But on the whole, it will always be a green garden. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, everybody says to us, I suppose, we, we always say people say, you guys are designers, you must have extraordinary gardens. And it's not really true. <laughs> no. um, my garden's a bit chaotic, but it's a beautiful chaos. Um, it's what, you know, what, what one of our friends, Bruce, used to call um, organized chaos. Well, you know, I'm, I'm obviously rubbing off, uh, rubbing off on you because I've got the whole chaos theory thing going and have yeah. had right since the very beginning. Yeah. And people always say, what is this chaos theory? I'm like, well, we throw things down and see where they land and plant them. I, I did that last year. I've done it with the yellow oxalis, which flower in winter. So mm. in winter, I've got this really vibrant yellow thread going through the garden. And now um, the scabiosa that I have in my garden have all taken off. Mm. So um, I have this huge blue swathe of scabiosa going through my garden, and it's just extraordinary. And I, I can't help it. Every time I go into the garden, I stop and just stare at it because I can't believe, you know, that I, I, I wouldn't have done this on purpose. Um, nature's helped me along. Mm. Yeah. And that is the chaos theory. I suppose we need to also get people to understand that designing in that way is a mindset as well. It's not just kind of impulse buying. And the amount of times <clears throat> I walk around and people are saying, oh, I've got all these agapanthus in my garden and I want to take them out. I'm like, why? Why would you take wonderful plant, which actually you don't have to look after. It'll give you those beautiful sex on stalk flowers. Um, oh, no, because it's like, you know, they, they're getting too big. So I'm like, well, divide them. Divide them up and share them. Yeah. Share the love. Share the like love. Larissa. You know, I, I think one of the things clients always say, and you don't realize, you know, if you're a designer and you practice long enough, and I've installed a lot of gardens, my clients always say to me, you have such a good eye. And, 
and and you don't think of yourself that way, but it's almost it, it's almost a feel that you get for where you're putting things. Even if you feel like you're putting them randomly, you're really not. Your mind is guiding you somewhere um, with with that eye and and something. You put those plants down in the ground, you dry place them, and and you just know that they're working like that. Mm. And 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 that's something that I think comes yes with time. But I certainly think it's 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 a skill that some of us have, and all the designers I know that are good landscapers have that that skill to be able to place stuff um, seemingly randomly in a garden, but it just seems to work and go well together. Mm. It is mm. a bit scary when you walk into an established garden and the people want you to do something different. And you look at this and you just think, oh, my goodness, you've got roses interspersed with um, yuccas and you've got this, that and the other. And you then have to sit and say, right, we're going to take this out and put that over there. And then we're going to create this on the side and we can use these roses are in front of those roses, which will have the same kind of color if we do in the dry area over there with some osteospermum, because it's a very dry area and you, you know, you've got all of these different mishmash things and they look at you as if you're completely mad. So sometimes we need to draw pictures for people and just drawing a picture mentally is not going to be enough. Yeah, I think one of the things, to talk about drawing a picture, one of the things we always recommend to people is take a photograph of it and then look at the photograph in the cool of the evening. Mm. A camera just not going to lie. And sometimes you look at the picture, and if you if you are able to be critical enough about this thing and say, "Well, something doesn't look right in this photograph," it actually means something doesn't look right in the garden. Now, we do it through show gardens all the time, taking pictures and then reviewing the photographs mm. and, because you know we get too close uh, to what we're doing. But but I think one of the other hottest things is established gardens. You know, designers. I, I know certainly myself as a landscaper, I find it more difficult to go and fix an established garden than to just start from nothing. <laughs> You know, so I like to have a, a, a blank canvas. Um, that's my preference. But and you go and rip everything out. I have before. I have gone into gardens and said to the client, you know, I had a client in Bryanston who said to me, what would you change in my garden? And I said everything. And I did. I took the whole garden out and started again. And it did come out very nicely. But it's also a very scary thing to do. You know, once you start ripping up that garden, you know you've broken the eggs. You better make the omelet <laughs> kind of thing. And not make a scrambled egg again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's quite right. So, so yeah, it is... You know, I think a lot of people don't really want to speak to landscapers in terms of um, them thinking that it would be too expensive. But I think building a garden that's wrong is, is, is more expensive. But it's an interesting thing, I mean, with people talking about expense. Yes, plants are expensive, okay, but there are ways of getting around it. But people come in and say, yeah, but I've got to fill this particular area and I've got to have that many plants. And then you look at them and say, but hang on a second, you do understand about the fourth dimension of, of design, yeah. which is time. That plant's going to get bigger. Yeah. So they sit and they look at you like, what? And I mean, the amount of people are saying, why have you got a tree in a four-liter bag? You'd rather have it in a 20-liter bag. So I take them and I say, by the hand, look here. That's a four-liter bag. That's a 20-liter bag. That's a 10-liter bag. Look at the size of the trees. They're all the same size. Yeah. It's not the size of the bag. It's the size of the tree. The size of the tree. And, and it will all, they will all get to the same size yeah. anyway. And they, yeah. I mean, if you put an, a bigger tree in, I know that everybody's impatient and they want a tree that comes in now and must be big. You've got to try and draw that picture for them as well and make them realize that you don't have to go and cram everything in because then you're going to end up with too much. But it's that impatience of people wanting everything instant garden right now. And unfortunately, things need to grow. Yeah, I, I think very, it's, it's getting more like that, especially where we live. Um, where, where there is this whole thing about instant gratification. What do you mean in the city? In the city, mm. and, I, and I think I think Joburgers are impatient people. I mean, they 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 want things to happen immediately, and we we do see that translating into the gardens. 
Um, and, and if we try to plant a garden as we would a show garden, which is dense planting, um, you're going to end up throwing two-thirds of those plants away eventually mm. or, or having to take them out and give them away. Um, so, yeah, when you install a garden, it's never going to look the same as plan because the plan always is drawn as a mature garden would look, um, having, having regard to the fourth dimension. And the client's always disappointed. <laughs> they say, well, this is not how you told me it was going to look in the plan. Mm. Um, but, you know, if, if we, I, I suppose, if, if we do communicate properly and we do walk the client through the process and the fourth dimension, in fact, the other three dimensions are equally important because, because people don't always know what we're talking about when we talk about three dimensions. Okay, well, I mean, yeah. 3D movies, those things? Yeah, I mean, the, the best way to see it is, is, is if, you were, if, if you could see your whole garden has been in a glass box and every single piece of that glass box needs to be decorated in some way. Um, so you've got the sides, you've got the top of the, the glass box and whatnot. That's, that's your three dimensions and not just gardening on the ground. Um, you know, when we did show gardens last year, we, the whole theme, the whole thinking behind it was gardening in three dimensions. Mm. And uh, this year we're probably going to look at gardening in four dimensions um, because we're talking about inner space as well. So it's not just the ceiling and the walls and the floor, it's the inner space as well, you know, the space that you can't sort of grab in front of your nose. Okay, well, when you say inner space, all I think is Dennis Quaid. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But, but, but I want people to come and back to us and let us know if they get that particular reference as well. Think, think about think about where a bird exists. Uh, the bird exists uh, could exist in inner space when it's in flight. So we're saying, what about that space in your garden? You know, you've you've decorated your walls. You've decor you've maybe built a pergola to have a ceiling there. You've you've decorated the floor. Um, what have you done with the inner space? And I think we tried to do that last year to an extent when we had pencils in the children's garden flying up into the sky. And that's when we're talking about just another dimension in the garden. I want to know what you've been growing in your garden now that certain things are legal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I, I just think, you know, if we allow ourselves to think a little bit crazy, I think that's when the great ideas start to come to mm. paper, you know, and we start being ordinary landscapers and start trying to be a little bit more special. That's, that's really what we want to try and be. So we've got to learn to see things that aren't actually there. And that's, that's a big problem for people. And, Saying to them, okay, fine, you need to look at it, that that space is going to be taken up by a tree which is going to get to this size, and that, but people can't see that. How do we make them see it? Would we have to draw it in a photograph if they bring it to us? Or if you're there with them, how do we get them to conceptualize? What is the best way of getting somebody to work it into their heads, Michael? I think you have to put pen to paper um, or pencil to paper. And one of the best ways is to take a photograph of the garden and then take a piece of tracing paper. And, and draw into that garden what you would like to see. Mm. Um, and very often that helps you to, to envision it. Um, you know, I, I think if you landscape long enough or you design long enough, you start to be able to see it in your head. Um, you can look at a garden and, and, and you know, you can, you can see it. Um, it's, it's something you get used to being able to do, but you know, not everybody's like that. And uh, what we've also found is that a, a lot of people can't picture the garden if you give them a plan of the garden. So you give them this flat, bird's eye view of the garden and they just they still can't see it mm. so what's very important is to be able to project it in three dimensions um even if it's just a, a, a sketch um i think the best way to to it's a tool really isn't it so you take mm. that sketch and you can talk the client through that sketch and you know you've got to to an extent have the gift of the gab and be able to speak creatively as well um to be able to communicate this to people so um, it's become a little bit more difficult 
and easy at the same time for designers in that you now have these wonderful things like SketchUp. I mean, what do you, what do you use in the way of a computer program? SketchUp. Yeah. Using SketchUp. And, and AutoCAD. Yeah. yeah, and AutoCAD. So, yeah. I mean, but you have to learn how to use those things as well as yeah. a designer. Yeah, look, when you look at AutoCAD, for instance, AutoCAD has, has got a very technical appearance um, mm. when, it, when, it, you know, when you see the drawings. And that doesn't always translate the spirit of the garden to people. And the weird thing is that hand drawings still translate the spirit the best, mm. but it's just so time consuming. Time consuming. Um, so, so we we do. You know, the best way to describe a garden to somebody how it's going to look is to bring color into it. So, you know, you've got to have something that can produce nice, vibrant color um, without creating a false impression. So, Google SketchUp does that quite well. Um, but yeah, you know, you you can then project it in three dimensions. You can do wraparounds. You can do walkthroughs. You can animate. You can do all sorts of great things. So, it has become. A little bit easier, but it's also idealistic. Mm. And you've got to be able to talk the idealism out of it. You know, so when you're talking to people, you say, okay, this is a bit idealistic because it has been produced on software mm. and your garden's not going to be this perfect, if you like. Or colorful, because I mean, yeah. the, the garden obviously changes with seasons. I mean, the amount of times that people come and say, I want something which flowers continuously. Like, well, um, we don't get those. There's not, there's not a lot of things. There's not a lot of things. And they, the people just don't understand. I mean, because they sit and they say, oh, I've seen a picture of this and that's what I want in my garden. I'm like, yeah, but it's only going to flower for like two weeks. Yeah. And they say, and the rest of the time, I say, well, then it's green. Yeah. And they don't get that. And they know I want something that flowers all the time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that if you draw a beautiful picture for somebody and it's got the flowers and the color that's going to be there, you need to do another picture as well, which will show what it looks like when it hasn't got the color. Yeah, the software can do that now. So you can go through seasonal changes in the garden. But once again, it idealizes it to an extent. Mm. I, I still think there's a lot of personal feel to being able to put a good garden together. Um, I think software is not a design tool. It's, re it's really more of a presentation tool. I think the design is in your head. It's in the skill that you have. Mm. So most of us designers still put pencil to paper and we sketch and we conceptualize on paper. And then we just pretty it up or sexy it up using software. Well, I know that there's a, a wonderful program that you can put onto your um, smartphone. Um, and a lot of my friends who are industrial designers are starting to use that as well. That you can actually take a photograph of the thing and then draw into it. Yeah, with your with a little pen on your phone. Yeah, there's a, you can get a style a tablet with a stylus now that yeah. you can actually do that on a flat tablet. So it's Android based. This particular program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm not familiar with it, but but I am familiar with others that allow you to do that. Mm. Um, Which makes it, I mean, on the go because you can take a photograph of somebody's garden and just say, okay, and you do this, and you can draw it in there and then. Yeah. Which would be, I mean, it has technology has made it easier for us as designers. Facilitates us, yeah. Um, yeah. But I still think, yeah, you've got to be able to know what you're doing in the first place. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the plants and whatnot, and, and, and a client says to you, for instance, I want my garden to be flowering right throughout the year. You say, well, you're going to have to have a variety of plants that, that will allow you to do that. For yeah. instance, oxalis in winter, um, you know, as, as I was talking about the scabiosis in summer. Um, so these flower in summer and these flower in winter. And, and, and you've got to uh, know how long they flower for as well. Yeah, um, how long they flower for, when they flower, um, under what conditions. Because certain plants, if they get too much shade, won't flower. Certain mm. plants, if they get too much sun, will burn. Um, so that's another thing we have to look out for. You know, you get different types of clivia that, that also um, will flower at different times of the year. So the, the gardenia, for instance, will flower um, in, in the summer, whereas the, um, the other, the orange clivia, um, miniata, Mm. Um, will flower in um, late autumn and spring. So, you know, you have to look at the, the different the species and variety of the plants as well. I, I, I just think it, it pays to go and speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about. 
Um, Which is why they can come and talk to me, especially when they come and say, oh, we want some pansies. And I'm like, no, you can't have pansies. They're like, it's why? Is it, it's the wrong time. <laughs> you can't have pansies. And they say, oh, I want to put poppies in. I'm like, yeah. okay, you're part. They say, what? I said, no, those are winter flowering. And then people come in and they want, I want broccoli. Do you have long stem broccoli? I said, um, probably at the beginning of winter, yes, but not now. Yeah, so <laughs> they, don't, they don't actually understand that plants, some things only grow at certain times. Yeah, and, and that's very, very much, uh, very important, let's say, when you start getting to the veggies and things, is, is knowing which veggies you can actually plant and how, how late into the summer, for instance, can you plant some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when it's just a no-no to even try and plant, grow them from seed. So, yeah, I, it, it's, it's a difficult one, Mel, but I mean, it, it really is the best advice you can give to people is, you know, when in doubt, don't. Um, speak to somebody, save yourself a, a lot of money by spending a little mm, uh, up front exactly. by getting the best advice. Um, not Going into the garden centers is not always going to yield the ideal result um, because, because there you have different skill sets as well. Mm. Um, you've got to speak to the right people in the garden centers. Um, and if you have any doubts about the design and placement and what your garden's ultimately going to look like, I think speak to a designer. Well, that's yeah. an interesting thing as well. I've had a lot of people coming in and saying, do you have that service where we can sit with somebody right now and they, as a landscaper, can tell us, give us some advice? And I thought, well, that is a very, very good idea. But then, I mean, you're not going to have like 15 people coming in in a day and wanting that particular service. So you're not going to find landscapers who are going to sit around twiddling their thumbs on the off chance that somebody's actually going to come in and do it. So at this stage, I think the majority of places um, that have got good designers, you'd have to, for instance, go to Lifestyle College and get hold of them and say, do you have any designers who can help us with this, that, and the other? Because we have a pool. Whereas um, I don't know how they work at it, other garden centers. Do they have somebody who just works on their staff the whole time that just may be doing plants and then happens to know how to landscape? It was an interesting thing that came yeah. up, and I thought, you know, why is that service not there and then? You know, it must be somebody who's working within the place who is a designer. Yeah, I, I don't think a standard garden center can afford a good designer to be on tap. Mm. Um, and if you, if, you, if you want to have somebody who just knows a little bit, bit about design, a little bit of knowledge is sometimes a dangerous thing as well. Mm. So you, could, you might not be getting the best advice. Um, the best model I've seen is the one that does happen where, where I'm at Lifestyle College and they're affiliated obviously to the garden center. Mm. And, uh, you know, what happens is the client will ask and they inside info or the college will take their, their details down and then they'll just pass it on to one of us because all the lecturers at the college are practicing designers. Well, I think that people are just scared about the cost of it though. Yeah. Um, a lot of people come to me and they say to me, you know, I'd, I'd like, I'd like you to give me a ballpark figure. And that's one thing I never do. <laughs> I don't okay. But a ballpark, ballpark, I mean, figures. just for giving them like an idea. If you say, okay, I'll come out to your place, have a look, or I'll sit down with you. If you bring pictures, I will give you some ideas and an hour of my time. Not even giving them a plan, just giving them a, a basic idea of what plants that they could plant and working it through. How much, for instance, would somebody be in for that? I think most of the time you're looking at about 600, 750 rand. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think a a designer can afford to do it for cheap. You're getting in your car, you're traveling somewhere, you're sharing your intellectual capital. Um, and if and, and if you are good at being able to talk um, your way through a design and do it um, off the cuff, um, which a lot of the experienced designers are, we, we're pretty good at that. Mm. Um, then, then I think it's money well spent. And, uh, you know, I, I used to go there and do it for free um, for clients. Um, but, it, but it simply doesn't help, you know, to be able to drive all over the place and, and go and visit people and whatnot. And I'm not being compensated for that. So it sounds brutal to, be, to have to charge for a consultation. But, mm. 
but but it's not it's not a consultation where we're just going to give a quote. It's a consultation where we're going to actually give give ideas. And I do. I give on-site ideas all the time. Mm. I'm full of ideas. And but like, some people and just want that. They yeah. don't want you to come in and design a whole new garden. They just want to know where they're going wrong. I, I tend to tell clients, listen, okay, just record what I'm saying while we walk around the garden. And I'll be drawing something at the same time and just yeah. writing names. So yeah. I draw a basic shape of their garden, say, move this, split those, and write it down on the paper at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, that is probably the best advice you're ever going to get from somebody if you don't know what you're doing, particularly in a garden is to have somebody come around 600 rand is really nothing it's 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 absolutely nothing i you know as as we said that's why we call it a consultation um you know i've had clients come and one i must warn against this if if there's anybody out there says i can just give you a ballpark quote on your garden i i I would be very very scared of that because it takes a while to work out proper Mm. costing um, there's, you have to do proper research for costing and whatnot. Um, so if you're going to start producing, and that's why I call all my stuff costing exercises as opposed to quotes. Um, but, but I think then you have to go through a proper exercise of costing, and it does uh, involve some work. It involves the landscape of running around, pricing things, finding stuff. Costing something takes up more time than takes anything up more else. Time than consulting. So yeah, you, see, you know, there's there's a lot to it. And so you know, if you're serious about a landscape and you want the landscaper to do all that for you, then you must realise a ballpark figure is a dangerous thing mm. because very often you take that number and you try and squeeze things into that that number and it's not a comfortable package no not at all another thing that's um for me i mean you work all over the country and we we have a number of designers and landscape architects who work throughout africa as well and overseas in places like oman (laughs) where they're going into the desert areas yeah um so everybody thinks oh well um you know i've heard about this wonderful designer who lives down in cape town i want them to come and do my garden but then you have the thing where cape townian designers have no idea about how Johannesburg works when it comes to climate. So it's always a good thing to actually ask around. And I'd say um, word of mouth is always a good thing when it comes to designers as well. If you hear about somebody who's got a good one. I think it's the only thing. Or listen to Mel and Mike and we'll tell you. Yeah, personally, I think it's the only thing. I've never handed out a pamphlet um, with my name on it. Um, All the jobs I've got have been people approaching me and saying, you know, you've been referred to us. But how do you approach it? I mean, you've been doing a a big thing down in Cape Town, for instance. In in Paul, yeah. 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 I mean, with coming out of the drought there, different kinds of soil, different kinds of plants. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you had to go into a whole lot more learning about yeah. how to create a garden down in a different province? Yeah, you, you do. It, it's a totally different mindset as well. And then you, you're looking at different seasonal conditions as well. Um, not not just um, drought, but you're looking at winter rainfall. Mm. Um, you're looking at feinbos as, as as your basis for, for what you plant. That's the backbone of your garden. And horrible soil. And sandy soil, yeah. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, you have you have to visit the site, but you do an incredible amount of research, and and I found it I found it lucky. I've enjoyed the the experience. I've I've enjoyed the design. We're still busy with it um, in 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 that side of the world, and you know it's largely about yes the plants, but it's also about the design itself. So it's about the form. It's about the lines. It's you know all all those good things. Mm. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's you have to take yourself out of your comfort zone eventually if you want to be a good designer and uh, you have to design somewhere else. Mm, I, I think I'll stay in my comfort zone. <laughs> Although I do, I mean, I go down to Cape Town quite a lot and my brother's always making me do gardens and friends are making me do it. So I've had to go and walk around somewhere like Kirstenbosch and the nurseries that they have down there and have a look and see what does really well. But then you have people who say, but I don't want a Feinbos garden. I'm like, Why wouldn't you want a Feinbos garden? You're sitting in the middle of the Newlands forest and that's what's growing well. 
you know, what grows around you is what's going to grow best in your garden. And I think that's what we call locally occurring. You know, I think it's a new expression now, locally occurring as opposed to endemic. Mm. Um, and, okay, and explain the difference there. It's, it's a difference that I find extremely difficult to distinguish. Um, but, but the argument has only been raised recently. And locally occurring is stuff that occurs, for instance, in your immediate area. Mm. Um, whereas you look at something um, endemic might be something growing on the east slope of Table Mountain. Um, it's endemic only to the east coast or the east slope of Table Mountain. So it's a fine line that they're starting to draw about something that, that happens um, more as an area thing and something that happens more as a site-specific, mm. um, which would be your endemic thing. Well, it's interesting uh, to note, I mean, if you think about what was in Johannesburg before um, – colonization, and I use that word by human beings, were the trees, um, were just bushveld trees. So we had blue guari, some acacias, or as they were called, acacias, um, a couple of other little scrub bushes, but nothing really big. So, I mean, Johannesburg is a completely different animal and has, I think the, the microclimates in certain areas have been changed somewhat by the fact that there's so many big trees now that have been grown in the area. Yeah, I, I think it definitely has. We always talk about the forest of Joburg, um, but I, if we look at by and large at the forest of Joburg, it's um, it's very exotic, isn't it? Mm. Um, so I mean, if you look around you, we've got a lot of exotic trees um, surrounding us, and of course, in in a sort of funny way, we're trying to change that in our gardens and reintroduce um, indigenous indigenous plants to our garden. But you know, you take your own advice. You talk about going to Cape Town and whatnot. I found myself. Um, making friends with a landscape architect in Cape Town um, so that I've got somebody to talk to who actually lives there. And it's nice to be able to do that. And, and the guy also happens, I mean, all of us are sharing people. So we, we don't mind sharing inf- uh, information and advice. Hmm. And it, I've taken my own advice and said, well, speak to somebody who knows. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. you've got to spend a lot of time doing the research as well. People forget about, I mean, they think, oh, no, I'm just going to get somebody who knows what a garden's about and who knows what plants there are, it'll work well. But there's a lot of other stuff to take into account. So if you're one of those people who needs some help in your garden, you can always get hold of Mel and Mike because we'd be quite happy to come and help you and we're not that expensive. And we love sharing. And we love sharing because sharing is caring. We're doing the Barney way of gardening these days. All right, so that's it about... uh, Design, of course, Mike and myself will be chatting about various aspects of design as they come up in the future. So do keep listening. And above all, stay grounded. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.